Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to the podcast edition of the Jim Toth Show. Hear us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Second half hour of the first hour. That makes sense on the Jim Toth Show. You're going to hear an interesting piece Richard Cluche did filling in on our nighttime show for Ben O'Hare-Smith. I'm really looking forward to this next piece. And continue the text coming in on what you're seeing from the papal visit. Um, and also tips and how you go about it and tipping. Munther Zied owns, uh, joins me now, owner of Food Fair. How are you today, Munther? Hello, Munther? Oh, do we not have Munther? Hello, Hello no, sir. I'm here. Oh, there you are. How, how are you? Good, I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I was just talking about tipping right before we brought you on, and I used to work at a grocery store in high school and college, and the odd time I would get a tip for carrying groceries out. Have you ever been tipped at your store? Well, I can tell you, when I was a kid working with my dad, I used to get tips galore, especially at Christmas time, carrying groceries out. Now the tipping happens uh, for deliveries only. It's rare that you get somebody tipping, carrying the groceries out. Yeah, I and I'm like a late 80s, early 90s is when I did uh, my time at grocery stores and really liked the job. And it was just kind of, and part of the policy was that you, like, we carried your groceries out. It wasn't even a question. And I just, uh, every like six months, somebody would slide me five bucks. And I was like, holy cow, like, I didn't, I didn't expect this or know that. But I was wondering about that with yourself. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Munther. I got a little story for you. I was in a shopper's drug mart yesterday and I was at the magazine rack waiting and somebody just said, see you later. And I looked and a man had a bag or two over his shoulder full with a mask on for COVID, I, I would presume, and walked out and got on his bike. And a girl that worked at sh- this shoppers ran to the door and said, he's taking everything. And I thought, well, should we go after him? She's like, no, we're not supposed to. And the problem I had mostly was he just got on his bike and rode across the parking lot to the street light, waited for the light to change and just kept going. And I thought, I want to talk about this again. And I thought of you right away because you've been on CJOB before about theft and what you're experiencing. Um, Are you surprised with the theft you experience about how casual it's become? Oh, unbelievably casual. It's as if it's become a right. It's their born right it's almost like it's in our constitution that they can come in grab what they want and leave and nobody can say boo to them i don't understand this month and i thought to myself and i said i go you know and of course the parking lot was large like he was a far way away but then another man came up and said do you want us to go after him and she's like no we're not supposed to and then i'm like but he's right there like across the parking lot she goes i know it just we shouldn't have let him in the store, asked him to leave. And and, and I felt bad for her because she felt the pressure and the stress. And so it reminded me of when liquor stores were getting robbed. Same experience. I was in one a, about two years ago and somebody just walked in and walked out and the cashier said, you're on camera. And they said, I know, and kept walking. So uh, let's get into this a little bit about how you deal with theft and are you seeing a lot more of it? And then we'll get into how it's changed to where people have just stopped even hiding it. So what have you seen increase over the past year or two or three compared to back in the day, uh, I guess, in earlier ti- earlier times in your experience? Well, I mean, just theft in general, it's become normal. People are not afraid to steal. They walk in, they take, uh, they're not hiding it, they're taking it, and uh, they know that if they get caught, uh, the owner's going to take the stuff away. They'll try to get aggressive a little bit, 
but they know the police aren't going to come. The owner's not going to call police because it takes time for the police to come. They're busy. They're understaffed. Um, so, I mean, we had an incident last week. Uh, we chased a guy literally from our store on Portage in Arlington to advance, uh, just past uh, at advanced electronics. I mean, it was stupid. Um, and he took a basketful, a basketful. And uh, it was crazy. And it's happening more and more every day. And the people that are doing it aren't doing it because they're hungry. It's organized crime. They do it. They sell it for pennies on the dollar uh, for whatever addiction they may have. So this is even more interesting to me because you chase them. And, I, you know, honestly, all day today, Munther, I'm like, I, look, I get, I'm, should I have gone and chased this guy? Should I have not? The other gentleman who I didn't know was wondering the same thing. And I just, that's what stands out to me about all of this. And and you would know more firsthand and, and seeing this, but the casualness of it really bothers me. It's not like somebody back in the day, I would presume, where you'd have to actually watch to see if somebody was trying to put something in their pocket or hide it. Those days seem to have gone to me. And it's just shocking that somebody would just walk in and everybody carries their own bags now. So you think they're putting stuff in their bag to bring to the counter, but they just keep walking and they're in no rush. They just... I'm doing this, and they know that probably owners like yourself won't call the police, and and they know that you know you probably won't confront them, and if you do, they just give it back. What can be done about this? Well, I can tell you, we do confront. We're not afraid to confront. I can tell you that. I mean, uh, we're not letting anybody, especially if we see them. the The rule is we're supposed to wait till they touch the door and leave the exit door. But once they hit that door, that's it. Game over uh, for us. Not them. They're gone. That's it. We approach them right in the store. We're not waiting. I mean, uh, we know who our customers are. Uh, a lot of them shop with their bags. But we also watch the certain ones. They, they, there's a certain pattern that they have where they'll be walking around the door, waiting for that door for the perfect time to walk out that door. And we've had situations where we've ran out after them. And nine times out of ten, we're catching them. But there are a few that get away. I mean, we had a gentleman last week, sorry, two weeks ago, walked in, six tomahawk steaks, six of them. Those are about $70 steaks. Went to the till. He was standing in line like he was about to pay for them. And as soon as he got between two tills, because our door's right there, just casually walked out, got into his car and drove off. And I don't know why, Munther, but the fact that they didn't run, the fact that they, that's what bothers me almost as much as the theft, that it's just this given right that I'm going to do this and it's going to happen and I'll probably be back in a month or six weeks and do it again. And and I just, that's what stood out to me about last night. That's what stood out to me about the liquor store. Now I know you confront and I, I, I would think that that's not recommended to chase people from the police. It's it's not, I mean, your safety first, right? But when it's yours, it's hard. Your mind just goes into a different mode and you don't want it. You don't want to see your stuff gone. I mean, if somebody walked into your home, and grab your TV or your son's PlayStation or or something, would you just allow them to walk out? I mean, your mind just goes into a totally different mode. No way I'm letting them take my stuff. It's not going to happen. And, again, nowadays, if you approach, you could get into trouble. I mean, it seems like the thief has more rights than you do. They start screaming harassment, racial this, anything, just, especially when you catch them to get out of it. And... Sometimes it works. I mean, my son had a situation a few years ago where we stopped the guy. We know he stole, 
And then he got charged for being aggressive. Well, how aggressive can you be? I mean, if you look nowadays, safety's first. When a police officer pulls you over for a speeding ticket, I've noticed that when he comes to approach the car, he's got his hand on his gun for a speeding ticket because he doesn't know what he's going to be approached with when he goes license and registration. Could be a wacko with another gun, a knife. It's a safety. So, I mean, if pulling you over for a speeding ticket, an officer has his hand ready on his gun just in case, what are you doing as a shoplifter? Yeah, and I, this is what really resonates with me, and that, that's why I feel for you because, I, and I want, you know, I'm I'm never going to tell you how to run your business, of course, but I know that the policy is to just let it happen. Um, I know the policy is to, to safety first, but I also resonate with what you said there. I don't own that shoppers I was in last night. I was just, it was almost like I was offended about how just nonchalant he felt he could be. Um, and then the the worry and the panic on this young woman who is working there and my thought to her that she's the one that's got to try and stop them. It, it's just bizarre. And and so I want to leave it with this and just, you know, as, as a store owner, but also maybe just somebody who wants to remain safe. Is there anything that you think can be done to sort of offset this, especially just the casualness of it? Is it a security guard? Is it just, and, and we're not just talking about your security store, we're talking guard, in general. Security guards are a deterrent. They really don't stop them. Uh, they're not putting their life at risk. Uh, they, they, I mean, the, the security guard's there to show possibly that the guy might not steal. You want a real scare, put real cops at the door. Sort of like what Superstore does. Put real cops at the door. That scares them away because it's a real cop. Now they can get arrested on the spot. Um, another thing, knowing that you're going to deal with it at the store scares them away. Um, and, again, we need more police on the ground for res- quick response. So right. they know that if they get caught, call the police. Within minutes, the police are there to grab them and take them. Once they know that they're going to pay for the crime, then it may go down. But right now, they're not worried because there's no penalty. There's no, nothing's happening to them. Right. And again, we have a policy is we are going to, we're, we're not going to let it happen. We're not letting it happen at all in our stores. Uh, my staff are told their safety first. If our family's in the store and we want to jump, for, jump in and prevent it from happening and our staff want to help, thank you. Great. We appreciate it. Uh, we don't expect them to. But, uh, again, uh, something needs to be done to tell thieves that you're going to pay for this crime if it happens and you get caught. And if they know that nothing's going to happen, they're going to keep stealing. And I can tell you, coming into our store and stealing, <laughs> you, you're not going to like what happens to you. I mean, as long as you give us back our stuff, out the door you go. You resist, God help you. Okay, uh, and I understand that, but and I also understand that's a, a good policy to, for your staff. Um, and and I get it's different when it's your store too. I do have to emphasize safety first for most employees who might be listening to this. But Munther, I really appreciate you taking the time to to sort of share on this, and and really it just it, it stands out, and I don't know why, but it bothers me the casualness of this. Like it's just nothing's going to happen, and I can do this anytime I want. Um, it's an ongoing issue. I'll continue to follow up on it, and I appreciate your insight, sir. Thanks for doing this again. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Very happy to welcome back into the program a frequent guest, Tori McNally, Director of Human Resources Services with Legacy Bowes. Bowes, how are you today, Tori? 
I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm all of a sudden stuttering. I'm saying everything twice, but we'll figure this out here and go forward. It's, it's Monday has become my Tuesday, I guess. Um, I thought of you immediately because I, I was just scr- scrolling through some things today, and I, I saw an article from the Globe and Mail on, uh, well, the title of it is it with a recession looming, how can you negotiate a better salary? And as I started reading the article, it was more for women. And I thought of the conversation that at the end of our last conversation, you had brought up some stats. Let's just revisit that, that, that women more predominantly than men do not ask for increases in wages for many reasons. Can you revisit some of those uh, numbers that you had? So, like, women just don't um, ask for raises. I think that they feel guilty about it. I don't know, um, you know, when when I talk to women, just even conversationally, uh, some people carry guilt about, you know, taking eight months off from maternity leave, and so they feel like they're on the back foot uh, with respect to their male counterparts who have been, you know, nose to the grindstone while they were um, off uh, taking care of babies. Um, I also know um, that women... Um, don't respond to job ads in the same way that men do. Like women will try and get, you know, three of the four bullet points of requirements and men will, if they have one, they'll uh, put in their application form. So um, there's lots of different things uh, there uh, that I think uh, women have to realize that they need to be forceful with themselves um, and stand up tall and and uh, uh, march into that boss's office and, and get what they deserve. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I guess that's what really surprised me about our conversation last time but also this article is it's disappointing I I, you know I just feel awful that first of all there's the gender pay gap and then secondly the numbers were astounding on how fewer women actually ask or approach their boss about a raise than men do yeah and I think that women um, you know some of the time feel like uh, they don't want to be rejected um, and you know they worry about what that will mean for them and how they'll feel and they don't want to stick their neck out and I think that people and I think I said this last time when we talked I think that you just have to realize that you can go and ask for a raise and if the answer is no the worst that can happen is that you just go back to your desk and and keep working and keep proving yourself and and then you revisit it again in a year um, or whatever that uh, whatever that looks like. And so along those lines, I wanted to revisit this because the article's intention was with a recession coming, um, the article was fearful that less and less women that already do might not know how to. So let's get into this. Let's talk about how you would recommend, because we've done this a lot because things were an employee's market. Um, with a recession coming, I would uh, understand, do the, the protocols and the, the tips that you have for asking change at all now that times might not be as good maybe a year from now? So, like, I think that, uh, you know, recession is looming and it probably the tips would change depending on what industry um, people are in um, because, you know, it really does make a difference if you feel like there's going to be some belt tightening um, and you're, you know, if your boss is looking at uh, layoffs or something terrible like that um, and you march in and ask for an extra 20%, um, it's not going to be greeted uh, warmly. Um, And so you really have to know, uh, have a sense um, of, you know, what industry and what kind of the outlook for your industry is. Um, but, you know, barring that, um, I would recommend, uh, you know, not going in and saying, uh, you know, inflation's at 8%. So if you don't give me uh, a 10% raise, you're effectively, um, 
you're effectively demoting um, my salary level. Like bosses don't want to hear that because it just puts into their mind that they also um, are in a crazy uh, inflationary market, not just with wages, but with absolutely everything that the business might be handling. So um, it's best to kind of leave those conversations and really talk about uh, what uh, what you've done um, and what you're willing to do in the future to contribute. And how does that change? And I agree, those are great tips, regardless of recession or, you know, good times or or bad times or things like that. Um, But what are some tips in general to keep in mind? Because I think that's important, too, especially when um, some people are dealing with fear or or maybe, you know, backlash or not backlash, I should say, but just fear and, and scared to just ask. Yeah, so, I mean, like it is scary, um, but I would say that, you know, once you ask, um, it's it's putting you uh, in a position where, you know, you don't have to go in and be um, a bull in a china shop about it. You just have to state the reality of what you're expecting um, and be ready for alternatives. Like if maybe if it's not money, um, have something um, as an alternative that won't cost the organization money. Like maybe you want flexible hours or maybe you want to uh, be able to, you know, split your day so that you do a couple of hours at night um, so you can have uh, some free time in the sunshine um, of the afternoon. Uh, maybe it's you know more benefits that you want like are there things that you can ask for that aren't necessarily money that will um, improve your work-life balance and it's been such an employer's market over the past couple of years and especially this past you know six months where we've just been doing story after story of it didn't matter what the industry is they don't have enough employees how might they affect the workforce with if a recession and when a recession does hit Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because employees were just getting hitting full steam and getting really excited about, you know, and uh, for instance, candidates for a new job were just listing that they wouldn't leave their current job unless they got, you know, X, Y, Z and the Apple cart. Um, and that certainly uh, has scaled back quite a bit, even in the last um, in the last month or so, where um, uh, employees or candidates are a little bit more nervous about, um, you know, making a song and dance about getting hired because they worry that they should just be taking what they can get. Uh, there certainly are vacancies out there. Um, depending on uh, the industry, there are people still uh, looking for work. Um, but uh, the the top stars um, should um, should settle somewhere because uh, the 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 thoughts are that recession will cause uh, job vac- vacancies to decrease. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. Uh, historically, recessions aren't a good employees market, are they? No, no, because people are laying off, right? And so the the field is not only not only are they not hiring extra people, but uh, the market's being flooded with people who've been laid off. So it is uh, it's not a great time to be in the middle of a recession. It's not a great time to be a job seeker. But we're in that kind of gray area now, where you know I would say we're still um, in the candidates market. It hasn't flipped to recession yet, um, but uh, just maybe there's caution about you know if you're gainfully employed and and can stick it through where you are right now, um, you might want to just stay there if you feel like you're in a stable spot um, rather than jumping to something that's a little bit more risky. And finally, if anybody's listening to this, because I don't know why, it just bothers me that that women are more fearful than and and, and drastically so compared to their male counterparts for asking, what do you advise a, a place or can who should they reach out to if they want just some more information on this and how to approach it properly? 
So I think that, you know, people should reach out to uh, mentors. I advise all women to have uh, a mentor in their career who can give them, um, kind of dispel some of the myths. Because I think when you're scared of doing something like walking into your boss's office, you just need somebody who is farther along in their career to say, oh, heavens, just do it um, and, uh, and, and just try. Um, and once you do it once, you'll realize that, you know, even, even if you don't get what you want out of the situation, um, you're not going to be, um, at least you've been clear with your boss. Your boss understands uh, where you stand. Um, and what you need out of the organization and and that, you know, when there is an opportunity for promotion, uh, they know that you're ambitious. Um, and so that can't that can always be a good thing that your boss knows that you uh, are looking for more, wanting more. I know from experience in my own career at the, the early stages of it, it was something that you built up in your mind that really, regardless of the result, and lots of times I didn't, it just, I, I felt like I built this up too much. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, even though I didn't get one. Yeah, and imposter syndrome is a real is a real thing. Like people really do get inside their own heads with imposter syndrome. That's when you um, you know believe that you don't have the qualifications to be able to do the job, and you you're almost psyching yourself out. Um, and uh, you know you're your own worst enemy at that point. Um, you know most people feel um, in the course of their careers like they don't have um, absolute and complete abilities to do absolutely everything that's needed uh, in their job, and you know that's stressful, but stress isn't always bad. Stress can be, you know, used to motivate um, and uh, go and figure out and learn and ask questions and, and use that stress um, toward, toward good. Um, and know that imposter syndrome happens to everybody, even to those men who are applying to those jobs that they're not qualified for. It might happen to them one day, too. There's always those people, too, that are, aren't qualified at all, and so they're overconfident <laughs> and feel like they should happen. So it's a dynamic. Uh, Tori, great insight, as always. Thanks for doing this, and always good talking with Of course, anytime. Lots of texts coming in on what we're talking about today, tipping and everything else. Um, Agree with 20% tip for good service. Disagree with any tips for poor service. Why would you reward poor service? And that's when I say generally I just do the 20% unless there's something really, really wrong. And then I'll, but I still always give something even if there is poor service and that's changed for me it you know years and years ago if it wasn't good service i just wouldn't tip at all i wonder if those days are over do you just not tip at all if it's i mean what would have to go wrong for you not to even leave a small tip i wonder uh this is interesting too hey jim 20 percent is outrageous that's one-fifth of the price of the meal which has gone up in price by the way so i think that's a ridiculous number i'll give 10 percent at the best of times um, Jim, do you know that your 20% is based on the amount of taxes of 13% the full tax? Yeah, I'm aware. You you know, I'm like Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs. You convinced me. I want my dollar back. <laughs> Derek Taylor joins me now, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at 680 CJOB. How are you today, sir? Are you a big tipper? Uh, it, it, at the beginning of the pandemic, I really made a focus uh, of doing it, like um, to, to a ridiculous degree because, uh, 2020, like I've always been, I worked in a restaurant back in the day, so I've always been a, a healthy tipper, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I took it far overboard because we were in this time of uncertainty and what were restaurants going to be. So yeah, I had some, I had some excessive ones then, but I think generally pretty healthy if, if the service is good, if yeah. it's really good, I'll go, I can even go 30, 40% just because wow. I know that. 
Well, because that job can be awful, right? Like there are there are times and there are certain restaurants where it's awful to be working that day. Breakfast joint on a Sunday morning, it can be awful to work that day. So uh, if I see a little, if I see, you know, nominal effort or, you know, someone faltering, I'll, I'll surprise them. But yeah, I, I always love, have you ever just left an excessive tip and then just, just walked out the door and, and just kind of wondered how it changed the rest of that person's day? Yeah, you know, I'm I excessive is I, I said wow at thirty to forty, but once you said that, I started thinking about it, Derek. Like I have in the past, if the service has been great and the service at the table next to me by the same person has been great, but is being treated poorly, I, yeah. that's when I'll go above the twenty. That's when I'll give them a little something and I walk out. Hopefully, them understanding that it wasn't you; it was the person you were dealing with. Um, I have yeah. done that in the past. And I, I just, I've gotten to a point where, like I used to, if it was poor service, the food was late, it had to be sent back, it was cold, I just wouldn't tip. But even now, I, I'm trying to find a time where I just, because it's not the server's fault if the food is cold, and it's not the server's fault exactly. if, so I even now, I don't, even with poor service, I'll leave a lot less, but it's hard for me to just leave and not at least go, here's $5. I, I don't yeah, know why, but... Yeah, having some, having some knowledge as to what the problem is, right? If your food's late, it's often not your, your waiter or waitress's fault, right? That's, that's a kitchen thing. Or you just kind of got to be, be ready to, when you get into a restaurant at a certain time, know that it's going to take a while longer. If I don't have, you know, if, if I haven't gotten been offered a drink in five minutes and don't have one sit in front of me in like five, seven minutes, that's the waitress, that's the, that's the server's problem. That's I need my drink. I need something. I need my bread. I need to be. You need to be sustained a little bit so I can yes. then consult the menu. But uh, yeah, and I, even I, then, it's like what you're wondering, and then they go, "I'm really sorry. It's my first day, and I don't know what I'm doing." And then you're like, "Oh." But I really yeah. wanted that beer ten minutes ago, but it's okay. You know, I get it. Just yeah, it's, it's, waitresses and waiters need need compassion sometimes because that can be a a real stressful job. That if if one person in that ecosystem there were times where i was a, a host and i absolutely slammed a waiter and you know you give them like four tables at once and that's a no hope situation you go oh, i hope bill's i hope bill's got it in him today because i just pushed him bad yeah you know what's interesting too and this is obviously not bombers and we'll let it go after this but i found people who work in the serving industry can often be the people that are most rude to people in the service industry like you'll go out and they'll be like, oh, this is horrible. And they'll be snotty or snooty with them and stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I've done this job four years ago and it shouldn't be like, they got to be better at this and stuff. So anyways, we're, we'll move on. What, one final one for you. Percentage basis. What's the biggest tip you've ever given in a restaurant? Oh, I don't even know. Like I, um, it depends. Like you go for a meal and, you know, I think if I'm covering like somebody or another couple or my parents, I just, yeah. and it's like 180, 240 or something like that. I'm like, I guess this is 50, 60 bucks. I don't know. I, I, I try to do the math in my head and then just lay it out. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm in the media. The math's not good. So there's been times where I've been like, oh, I've gone back and put another 20 on there. I go, I'm really sorry. I didn't, I did the math wrong. I apologize. And I'll go put cash on the table, even though I walked out after tipping. Yeah. I, I remember being at a, this was years ago at a breakfast spot here in Winnipeg. And the, our wages was great, but it was Sunday morning and she was getting run ragged. And uh, I left her 300%. Because I'm like, you, you did amazing. And I just walked wow. out. I'm like, you'll never, you may never see me again, but I hope. I hope you have a great day after this was kind of the thought in my mind. And she had no clue you were in the media by the size of that tip. 
When you find a $100 bill on the ground, you can pass it along to somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> That's four pregame meals right there. Uh, Derek Taylor, Voice of the Bombers. Great discussion, by the way. This is going to spark some more conversation. I appreciate it. Uh, before we get into the amount of injuries, let's uh, recap practice for us today. Who is out there? Who is not taking part for the Bombers? Okay, so today, uh, Greg Ellingson, of course, missed last week's game. He didn't take part today. Uh, Mike Miller, uh, Patty Newfeld, Mike McMiller, I don't think, has practiced at all this year. So he was, he was out again today. Pat Newfeld out, so Liam Dobson was slotted in this spot. Stanley Bryant uh, and Jackson Jeffcoat and Jeff Gray. So left tackle, left guard, and then defensive end Jackson Jeffcoat were, were there in spirit, but not, uh, not in pads and such. So it was, a, it was a smattering of folks. We did see the coach Trucop back in practice, though. Uh, he comes off the six-game injury list this week. And if I had my druthers, I would guess that Dakota uh, is into the lineup this week against Calgary, just the way things look at practice. So uh, losing some, getting some back, Carlton Agadosi will be the big news. Uh, injured his lower leg, his ankle in the game uh, against Edmonton, and he's going to be out for some time. So uh, old faces are new again. Kelvin McKnight back with the Bombers at the signing today. Now, you're tired, so I'll let you catch your breath because that's an enormous list, even though it is yeah. football. Uh, I want to ask you about this. It's no surprise to me the Bombers are 7-0. and It's a big surprise to me they're 7-0 and considering the amount of injuries they've piled up so early in the season. That's been one of the th- keys to their success over the past two Grey Cup championships is their, their uh, portent- or propensity to stay healthy relatively. It's not happening this year, but yet they're still finding success. Yeah, and it's, it's something other teams have had to deal with much, much more, than, like you mentioned. And, and the Bombers, they had some injuries, but it wasn't to the extent of other teams, right? Other teams would have 16 and 17 guys on the six-game injured list. When you look at this team right now, who are the starters that are injured? Dembski, Couture, uh, Kyrie Wilson is on six-game. Brandon Alexander would be the starter, but it's been Malcolm Thompson all season. He's been good. Mercy Maston uh, would have been the starter at, at the dime defensive back spot, but he's on six game. It, it hasn't touched the super-duper stars, I guess is kind of the reason I think that it's holding up really well, is if you were losing, I mean, Jeffcoat being injured, is, is he's not at least on six game, but if, if it was Willie Jefferson and Adam Big Hill and Zach Kolaris, then you would be like, you would start to think, oh boy, now, now what are the, the Bombers going to do? Uh, Saskatchewan's dealing with injury problems, but they include their quarterback, and you think, ugh. BC is down its best receiver so uh, on the six-game injury list in lengthy ones. So the Bombers, at least, while they're dealing with a bunch of injuries, they're at least I, – I hope this doesn't come across wrong, but not the super-duper stars of the team. Some of them are legitimately stars of the team, but not the super-duper stars, after which, hey, if you lose – to me, if you lose Zach Caleros on the six-game injury list, it's going to be a rough six games. Right, yeah, for sure. I missed the coaches' show last night, so forgive me. I usually tune in. Uh, what's the topic of discussion amongst fans, and what, what were they asking Mike O'Shea last night? It was funny. O'Shea and I left the studio afterward, and, and he said, hey, nobody asked about the game we just played against Edmonton. <laughs> I, and I was like, you're right. Like We just went wherever, wherever callers and texters led us, but no, no, one, uh, no one talked about the game against Edmonton. I... I kind of get it. Edmonton in that game was, was kind of a non-entity. They did some nice things, but, I mean, they never got inside the Bombers' 20-yard line, right? And it was three field goals and a missed field goal that was their, their scoring. So there wasn't, as much as it wasn't going well for the Bombers on offense, there was not a point where I thought the, the Elks were, were going to do any 
particular damage despite a lot of plays uh, and, and, and such. So that there was, you know, there was some, hey, what's going to happen with Calgary? How can you get this done against Calgary? Again, what about the running game? It's now six weeks out of seven where, you, where we've had, hey, what about the running game? So it, it, it's, it's kind of, it's nice to have those as your concerns and be seven and zero. Like the the concerns, we're kind of fishing for stuff that that we don't like because you know ultimately they're winning these one score games and they have three games now where they've won by multiple scores. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of Calgary, I'm reading that a bunch. They're coming off their bye week, and I'm reading a bunch of their roster is missing, and uh, their head coach was saying it's due to COVID and also pneumonia has been going around there. So we'll keep an eye on that as we get later in the week. But we are early in the week. Early in the week, what do you make of this matchup, the rematch after that uh, big home win for the Bombers against the Calgary Stampeders two weeks ago? This might be the most important uh, regular season game the Bombers have. And it, it's kind of forecasting. So they're 7-0. There's three wins up on any other team in the West Division. If the Bombers win on Saturday, one, they're 8-0. They're four games up on Calgary, and they have the season series with Calgary. So, honestly, in my mind, the only team that could threaten them would be the BC Lions, who they played twice down the road. If they're 8-0, to me, they're going to go 10-0 because it's home-and-home with Montreal afterward. And at 10-0 and four wins up with eight games remaining and a, and a home-heavy schedule in the second half, to me, the, the West is almost done and dusted at that point. So you look at this Calgary game and go, Ooh, it was really tight in that first game, and if not for some inopportune penalties, and I think it was five drops by Calgary receivers, that could have been a different story. This one, this one strikes me as it's going to be a tough fight, and if the Bombers win, their biggest rival in the West is, is done as far as catching them, barring some major disaster for Winnipeg. So I think this game is enormous. Yeah, I agree, and I'm looking forward to it. I know a lot of Bomber fans are, too. We'll let the week unfold, and I'm sure we'll revisit with you prior to the game to tee it up on Saturday. Thanks for doing this, as always, and uh, thanks for being a generous tipper. Hey, I, I when you've done the job, you know, uh, you know how awful and how, how good it can be and, and how much, you know, if you can give a little extra, if it's in your budget, you can really make someone's day, someone who uh, does not make a ton of money generally. So, yeah, it's, it's always nice. Nice. Derek Taylor. Not just monetary tipping. Derek Taylor gave me a TV tip once that if you sit on your untucked dress shirt, it won't ride up and stays flat on a TV set. So there you go, listeners. Derek Taylor helping you dress, helping you help the people that serve you, and helping you understand what happened at Bomber practice today. Thanks, DT. Thanks, buddy.